Welcome to part two of our ongoing two-part series on H.P. Lovecraft's Herbert West Reanimator. Yes. <laughs> I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey. And this is the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. We've got an interview with Stuart Gordon. And uh, we are having the readings done by Andrew Lehman. And we are sponsored this week, as we were last week, by Tor.com. Tor.com is having an awesome event, which is December Belongs to Cthulhu. That's right. Every day they're, they're getting new content from scholars and fans and authors on uh, the Lovecraft mythos. Yeah, and, awesome stuff. Uh, they, they've got artwork up there. They've got analysis. They've got original stories. Mm-hmm. It's all Lovecraftly delicious. And, you know, if you want to buy any of the great books that yeah. Tor.com has. 30% off. That 30% is off Lovecraft-related content. Yes. And without further ado, we're going to jump right into the show. Here we are with part two of Herbert West Reanimator, featuring special guest, Stuart Gordon. HPPodcraft.com uh, and then we move on to the fourth one. The Scream of the Dead. Which I love. This, this was a good one. Yeah. And I think uh, this this one involves, well, it, yeah, I know it does. It involves a traveling salesman. Yeah. Which is Lovecraft's father's profession. Right. This starts in July 1910. So a few years have passed. And uh, the protagonist is actually in Illinois visiting his parents, uh, where I'm from. Yeah, and, and myself. And, and myself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, he did have a relative of some kind that's from Illinois. Well, his dad did travel, too, uh, yeah. to Illinois when he was doing his salesman stuff. With something like his great uncle founded Devlin, Illinois, which is close to Peoria. It was I like did a not know temperance that. town. And, and so Lovecraft has some biographical connection to Illinois. It's a great land of Lincoln. <laughs> uh, when he returns from Illinois, Wes tells him, Hey, I've invented this new embalming compound that keeps bodies fresh. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't tell you I was working on it. Yeah, I, no, I just this it. little side project. Uh, I got. In fact, I got a body downstairs. Now I, I waited for you. So they, they go down there, and the body is this stranger who West says had been on his way to transact some business at the mills. And he wasn't feeling well because he, he was walking a lot, and he said that like, he looked really tired. So yeah. he came in, and then and then he died. He just had a heart attack. Right now, of course, in their brief conversation before he passed away, he said, "I have no family." And nobody will find out where I say to have a heart attack right now. And then he had a heart attack. So Wes just knows this from their brief Just happens to know that, yeah. Come in. Do you have family? Uh, so West, in, West takes him down to the, the lab, and mm-hmm. he injects a new fluid in the corpse in order to neutralize this embalming agent. Right. And uh, I think he does something curious. When the body starts to twitch, he puts a pillow over its face. Uh-huh. I didn't know you had to treat dead folks that way. But <laughs> when all signs of life are completely gone, he injects the reagent. And it's a success. The body wriggles a bit, and the protagonist asks, where, where have you been? But the way the body responds, he doesn't like. For that very fresh body, at last writhing into full and terrifying consciousness, with eyes dilated at the memory of its last scene on Earth, threw out its frantic hands in a life-and-death struggle with the air, and suddenly collapsing into a second and final dissolution from which there could be no return, screamed out the cry that will ring eternally in my aching brain. Help! Keep off, you cursed little towhead fiend! Keep that damn needle away from me! <laughs> so we find out yeah. uh-huh. that West has killed this guy. He mm-hmm. just outright murdered him. Yeah, this is kind of a turn in the story because, I mean, even though his methods are unorthodox, you know, the people are dead and he's trying to bring them to life. He's not necessarily a terrible guy, but at this point... He, he's pretty. He's pretty evil. Like, well, he wants that fresh body. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the only way he can get Resort, resorting to murder. Yes, yeah. yeah, he's ready to kill for it. <laughs> the question is, why doesn't uh, the 
narrator, you know, stopped working with West at this point now that West has started murdering people. Yeah. Yeah. How did you? And uh, that? well, I think you know, the, if you were to really, if this were real, mm -hmm. and someone had developed something that could actually bring the dead back to life, this would be such a monumental discovery. Right. Absolutely. That this is like Nobel Prize time. This is you know, uh, well, changing uh, humanity. Like, yes. So the entire you know, way people live their lives. So I think that the only, I mean, the way you can justify it, I suppose, is the idea that what, you know, the idea that they're creating something for the greater good of mankind, that this is a, sure. you know, a huge medical breakthrough. Right. And, and I mean, I could also see him sort of looking the other way with this, too. Like, you know, maybe I misheard what that, what the body said, you know, like maybe, or, you know, with the, with the zombie guy, you know, like he's kind of all this, I mean, he's put a lot of time and effort, I mean, sure. years into this but, research with No, West. but I think that, um, he knows, and I think that uh, you know that's, in a way, what uh, Lovecraft's getting at with this guy is that this narrator is really going. He's changing. Yeah. You know, yeah. He, he is he is becoming tainted mm -hmm. by his association with West, and and uh, you know he is in a sense even more evil than West because he's keeping quiet about. Because he's yeah. complacent. Yeah. yeah, you're right. And also, Lovecraft has a long history by this point of writing characters who were easily influenced or who maybe have a bit of a weak nature right and can kind of be led along yeah. a certain thing but i also think it's true and it, it you know it's interesting that you know people in this world will go along with someone who seems to have the answers right you, you see that over and over again you know people like you know jim jones or uh, mm -hmm. you know, where they're where they're ready to do whatever this guy says because here's a guy who really seems like yeah, he knows what he's, he's doing. He's got a plan. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, isn't there some kind of psychology test they do where uh, an authority figure makes you shock a person? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've read about that. There's a really cool book called uh, Elephants on LSD, and uh, it's just a book of all these crazy experiments people have done over the last hundred years, and one of them is uh, how a person in a lab coat will come in and tell a person to push a button, and then they push the button and you hear somebody scream in the other right. room. And that... <laughs> the the people like women would typically do it guys would stop but women would always just do either would be crying like while they do it and they would push the button while hearing the guy scream and then finally like the guy would scream louder and louder each time they pushed it until finally he didn't scream anymore right and well, they would, would, well they would also tell you in that experiment to turn up oh right yes the ampage each time yeah so that you you know that you're giving them greater and greater shocks yeah um, <laughs> but I think it's also the idea that you know uh, West is a charismatic figure. Yeah. You know, West is, uh, he's got, you know, uh, this plan. He has got, uh, you know, and he's a genius. And yeah. he is, and his stuff is working. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, for uh, our narrator to uh, just run the other way, you know. Uh, it's a very good point. Yeah, it's true. Moving on, we're Moving in chapter on. five. The Horror from the Shadows. In uh, 1915, West and the protagonist, they join up with the Canadian regiment in Belgium. Mm-hmm. In uh, Flanders, jumping into the war before the U.S. Right. So the U.S. wasn't in war yet, but West is very motivated, right? Because right? uh, there's lots of fresh bodies, right? And uh, in a sort of departure from his previous researches, lots of pieces of bodies. He had wild and original ideas on the independent vital properties of organic cells and nerve tissue separated from natural physiological systems and achieved some hideous preliminary results in the form of never-dying, artificially nourished tissue obtained from the nearly hatched eggs of an indescribable tropical reptile. Two biological points he was exceedingly anxious to settle. First, whether any amount of consciousness and rational action be possible without the brain, proceeding from the spinal cord and various nerve centers. And second, 
Whether any kind of ethereal, intangible relation distinct from the material cells may exist to link the surgically separated parts of what has previously been a single living organism. So he is, it's, he's changing his, his research. I mean, he's going from trying to bring back one person to just reanimating any kind of tissue, be it arms, legs, yeah. and he's combining them with the reptile. reptiles. Yeah. Well, well, you know, what's interesting also is that there is, uh, I'm trying to remember what the name of it is, but there are these, um, I think they were taken from a woman, a, t- a tumor that she had. This was back in the 50s, I think mm-hmm. it was, uh-huh. that they have been able to keep these cells reproducing, and they are used in experiments all the time now. Oh. Until, again, I think, you know, it's, it might have even been earlier than the 50s, possible that Lovecraft was aware of this kind of stuff. You yeah. know, the idea that, uh, in a sense, this... You know these these tumorous cells that will reproduce at its rapid rate. It's almost a kind of immortality. This you know this woman who was killed by the probably by her cancer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but her in a sense her cells are continuing to reproduce, and they use those in, in experiments, kind of trying to find a cure for cancer. I believe. Right. I happened to watch in a, a show that was on television a couple of years ago, that was about the scientists, and it was essentially sort of like mad scientists, but real scientists who, oh, were, right. who were doing these weird experiments. And um, one of them was this guy who was trying to uh, keep the brain alive after it was removed from the body. That was one mm-hmm. of the, you know, sort of like Donovan's brain or something. Then he realized that if you keep a brain alive, how do you know that the brain is really right. conscious? Yeah. So what he decided was you have to not just keep the brain alive, but keep the entire head alive. So he was beheading baboons uh-huh. and keeping the baboons' heads alive, right. you know, by running some sort of... You know, wow. Well, that's a, there's a similar test that's in that same book, that Elephants on LSD, where this Russian scientist in the 50s was taking dogs and uh, heads and, and sewing them onto other dogs. Yeah, that's right. That was yeah. famous. But this scientist, though, reminded me a great deal of Herbert West, because <laughs> what he said was that after he decapitated a baboon and brought it, you know, kept it alive, mm-hmm. that the baboon was looking around and one of his assistants went over to the baboon and put her finger in the baboon's mouth, and the baboon bit off her finger. Wow! And uh, the scientist was saying, what sort of an idiot puts their finger in a baboon's <laughs> mouth? <laughs> <laughs> which, oh. which sounded so much like Herbert West. Uh-huh. You know, it was right. like, overlooks you know. the whole back. <laughs> there's this poor body. woman yeah. who's missing her finger. Right. You know, but the, the, she got hurt, and, and then, she, and then and he created the, the weirdest circumstance. <laughs> That's and the so blame her for it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so you know, I think I mean I think Lovecraft must have known some scientists. You know, he's, oh, he's capturing the, you know these kind of sort of single-minded. Oh my god! You know, uh, these, these guys are only thinking about the experiment. West is keeping this vat of sort of reptile parts. Goop. goop. Yeah, yeah. That's how he keeps the, the severed pieces alive. He mm-hmm. throws them in there, and then the goop, you know, treats it or rejuvenates it. And he he's got his own private library in a field hospital behind mm-hmm. the lines in Belgium. Uh, which he got this because he told the people in the field hospital that he was coming up with serums to help people who had been maimed seriously. Right. Uh-huh. So, and one night, they get a new specimen, Major Sir Eric Moreland Clapham Lee. This guy's a great surgeon, and yeah. he's actually even studied reanimation under Dr. West. Yes. In fact, he's the one who helped West get this commission. Mm-hmm. Now, the protagonist doesn't know much about that, so it's just sort of mentioned. Yeah. But clearly there's been some past relationship between West and, and Lee. Uh-huh. And Lee had been on his way to the battlefield, but his plane was shot down directly over 
Mm-hmm. And uh, the other passenger, Lieutenant Ronald Hill, died in this crash. Ronald was torn apart. Lee was killed as well, but pretty in good, pretty stable condition, except that his head was mostly decapitated. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, he's not stable condition. I mean, he's, he's dead. <laughs> I guess, yeah. He's, dead. Yeah, he's, he's, dead. Body, he's dead, but his body's... His body's mostly... In, mostly intact, I intact, guess is yeah, what yeah, I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah. <laughs> That's not really stable if your, head, <laughs> if your head's off. So West, of course, drops the head in the vat of reptile tissue. Yeah. Keep it going. And then he sews everything up on the neck of the body. And then he injects the body with the reagent. It soon it kind of starts twitching around, throwing its arms out, as if in memory of that plane crash. Yeah, of the plane crashing. What followed I shall never positively know, but may have been wholly an hallucination from the shock caused at that instant by the sudden and complete destruction of the building in a cataclysm of German shellfire. The body on the table had risen with a blind and terrible groping, and we had heard a sound. I should not call that sound a voice, for it was too awful. And yet, its timber was not the most awful thing about it. Neither was its message. It had merely screamed, Jump, Ronald, for God's sake, jump! The awful thing was its source, for it had come from the large covered vat in that ghoulish corner of crawling black shadows. So the head, the head in the the box... uh... Of obviously of Lee, mm. remember you know yelling to his co- his uh, his pilot, you yeah. know like and and the head and the body are somehow still yeah working together yeah right. he injected know. the body but then mm-hmm. it woke the head up yeah what? yeah and 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 the and the body's moving you know kind of along with the, yeah. you know, yeah. with this dialogue um, you know we use this idea in, in you know the movie to good yeah. effect yeah and, exactly. although we um, ended up changing, naming him after Hill you know instead mm. of after Lee, Lee. yeah. God knows why we did that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, later on, this this character of um, Lee, I guess, in the next story, uh-huh. he shows up again. He, he does. He does, he does show up again. <laughs> Which is crazy. Well, I mean, what happens, though, right, is that, is that ha- right at the end of this part, uh, a, a plane, cra- or there's a big explosion. Yeah, there's some shell fire, which... Lovecraft loves the cleansing bolt of lightning. Exactly. You know, here he did it with German uh, shell. It's fire. not a. It's not actually a bolt of lightning, but it is a big explosion, yeah. and you know they don't know what happens. They can't find the body or yeah. the head. Exactly. They managed to escape, but where yeah. that where the body of the officer? They assume that it was just destroyed in the explosion. Yeah. But, but no. Part six. Yeah, we're on to the next chapter, which has a title that's maybe less pulp than earlier, but has more of that sweet Lovecraft flavor. It's called the Tomb Legions. When Dr. Herbert West disappeared a year ago, the Boston police questioned me closely. They suspected that I was holding something back, and perhaps suspected graver things. But I could not tell them the truth, because they would not have believed it. And uh, the truth is that a lot of Herbert's failed experiments are still out there. Oh yeah, they're out and about. And this is the last chapter of, this, yeah. of the whole Herbert West thing. So the narrator's kind of wrapping things up. He's saying, something happened, and uh-huh. I'm going to tell you the end, you know, the end of this. Yeah, there's that nice, foresh- I mean, right from the beginning he said, look, Herbert disappeared. Mm-hmm. You, you get the sense of what the final thing is going to be, which is, which tells you that this was, it was serialized, but clearly Lovecraft knew where he wanted this to end up right. throughout the whole writing mm-hmm. of it. And so there was that thing from the initial incident that was digging at its own grave that ran away. Uh-huh. Uh, Dr. Halsey. Do- and there was Dr. Halsey who's still in the asylum. Uh-huh. Who escaped from the asylum. It, right, right. Well, we find out in this chapter yeah, soon. Yeah. I, I, in the passage when he says Dr. Halsey's still in the asylum, too, he said he's in there for doing cannibal things. <laughs> Such a funny way to describe it. What, what are the cannibal things are eating human flesh? What other cannibal things yeah, are there? Yeah, what other do? cannibal things are there? Oh, you know. <laughs> he's out watching cannibal movies. <laughs> 
hanging out with cannibal friends at the cannibal alley. Right in his uh, cannibal journal. And we don't know who else is lurking about that Herbert's lost track of. Right. Although the thing that he's perhaps most afraid of is that Lee is stalking about Headless. Mm-hmm. And with the knowledge to reanimate dead things as well. Right. <laughs> he's created a, a, a Headless nemesis. Uh-huh. So in this chapter, we flash forward after the war. Herbert is now living in a beautiful house in, in Boston, which overlooks an old burying ground. He's got a huge cellar laboratory with a large incinerator. And uh, when the workmen were digging it out, they actually knocked out an underground passage into the cemetery. Some kind of secret passage beneath the tombs. Which would seem to be something that Herbert would be interested in, but he has it plastered over. Right. The end of Herbert West began one evening in our joint study when he was dividing his curious glance between the newspaper and me. A strange headline item had struck at him from the crumpled pages and a nameless titan claw had seemed to reach down through sixteen years. Something fearsome and incredible had happened at Sefton Asylum, fifty miles away, stunning the neighborhood and baffling the police. In the small hours of the morning, a body of silent men had entered the grounds, and their leader had aroused the attendants. He was a menacing military figure who talked without moving his lips, and whose voice seemed almost ventriloquially connected with an immense black case he carried. His expressionless face was handsome to the point of radiant beauty, but had shocked the superintendent when the hall light fell on it, for it was a wax face with eyes of painted glass. A larger man guided his steps, a repellent hulk whose bluish face seemed half eaten away by some unknown malady. The speaker had asked for the custody of the cannibal monster committed from Arkham sixteen years before, and upon being refused, gave a signal which precipitated a shocking riot. The fiends had beaten, trampled, and bitten every attendant who did not flee, killing four, and finally succeeding in the liberation of the monster. Those victims who could recall the event without hysteria swore that the creatures had acted less like men than like unthinkable automata guided by the wax-faced leader. By the time help could be summoned, every trace of the men and of their mad charge had vanished. So, Flippin' Lee went and made a plastic head so he could look like a person, and he's went to collect Dr. Halsey. You think he made the plastic head? I don't know if he made it or or bought it or whatever. From a wax museum, or yeah, something. could be. Yeah. yeah, boy, I'd love it if he bought it. I would wish that. From the, uh, story. <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah. Um, in, our yeah. movie, in our movie, we made an anatomical um, right, bust right, uh-huh. that he was wearing. That was, you know, I'm very familiar with the movie. And when I sat down to read this recently, I think I only read the first three chapters of it because I didn't remember. I thought that this was stuff that you came up with for the the whole having a fake head. And then when I was rereading it, I'm like, oh my god, this is totally from the it is. from the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's Lovecraft. Yeah, that's amazing, and it's really creepy. Like it seems <laughs> it like is. it has it's a really very creepy. modern uh, yeah, it, sensibility. Oh to yeah, it. No, th- that's the thing is that these were, you know, when I read these stories, I thought these are incredibly cinematic. You yeah. know, there mm-hmm. there's so much action in them. You know, I mean, people always are sort of down on Lovecraft because some of its his stuff is very internalized. And this is the opposite. You know, this is just action packed. Yeah, yeah, and fun filled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really is. And, and uh, you know, it's like, uh, and I, and, and the fact that Lovecraft always was saying disparaging things about these stories uh, it strikes me as kind of odd yeah, you know, yeah. I think this is some of his best writing really I, I mean I flew through this as some some of his stuff is a little harder to read this is of course another one of the stories that is easily digestible but he was having fun with this yeah he yeah. was you, know? you can tell and he's yeah. a pretty funny guy yeah, there's some stuff that he's you know, written that's pretty I, I would never have thought of him that way until we did another show where we looked at a, a short 
story that he wrote that was a comedy. And it was really funny. It was actually funny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that he knows, he knows where to put a joke. Uh, <laughs> this is not a joke, though. West reads this article in the paper. And, and flips uh, out. Yeah. He just kind of sits there. In fact, it says he sits there with his mouth open until midnight. I don't know what that's <laughs> yeah. But uh, the, the doorbell rings. Uh-huh. Uh, Which can't be good. No. The protagonist answers it. No, no. At it's midnight. not good when the doorbell rings at midnight. I just, I, I hope all the monsters were outside watching their... <laughs> watching their clock, just waiting. No, no, not right Not time. yet. Five more minutes. Uh, so the protagonist answers it, and a group of strange figures drop off this large square box. One of them grunts, express, prepaid. <laughs> <laughs> and then they walk, which is great. Great detail. And then they walk out into the night, and he, he says, it looks like they were turning toward the cemetery. Strange. <laughs> so uh, West comes down, he looks at the box... And it says from Eric Moreland, Clapham, Lee. Lee, yep. Uh, West knows what's up. He knows. He says it's it's the finish. This is it. I'm, yeah. I'm going to die. But let's incinerate this. Doesn't this sound like the end of uh, the movie Seven? Yeah. All right. I yeah. thought that too. You know, what's in the box? Yeah, what's yeah, in the box? Yeah. <laughs> what's the box? But he just he just burns it. He just goes quick. Just burn the burn the box. Yeah, he's he's ready for it. And right. they burn it, but it makes no sound when no. it goes. Uh, but then. The plaster begins to fall off the wall where the secret passage has been covered mm-hmm. to the, the tombs, and he begins to see the blackness within. Just then, the electric lights went out, and I saw, outlined against some phosphorescence of the netherworld, a horde of silent, toiling things which only insanity, or worse, could create. Their outlines were human, semi-human, <laughs> fractionally human and not human at all. The horde was grotesquely heterogeneous. They were removing the stones quietly, one by one, from the centuried wall. And then, as the breach became large enough, they came out into the laboratory in single file, led by a stalking thing with a beautiful head made of wax. A sort of mad-eyed monstrosity behind the leader seized on Herbert West. West did not resist or utter a sound. Then they all sprang at him and tore him to pieces before my eyes, bearing the fragments away into that subterranean vault of fabulous abominations. West's head was carried off by the wax-headed leader, who wore a Canadian officer's uniform. As it disappeared, I saw that the blue eyes behind the spectacles were hideously blazing with their first touch of frantic, visible emotion. Servants found me unconscious in the morning. West was gone. The incinerator contained only unidentifiable ashes. Detectives have questioned me, but what can I say? The Sefton tragedy they will not connect with West. Not that, nor the men with the box, whose existence they deny. I told them of the vault, and they pointed to the unbroken plaster wall and laughed. So I told them no more. They imply that I am a madman or a murderer. Probably I am mad. But I might not be mad if those accursed tomb legions had not been so silent. And that's the end of the. Which story. is really creepy, uh, you know, that they're just they quietly take the 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 the, uh, the, bricks. the the bricks out. You know, they're very methodical. And Herbert doesn't even scream. He doesn't even scream. The silence of that whole scene is actually very eerie. You know, that's pretty cool. And you know, I 
it's kind of strange that uh, Lee decides to give him the box, which I assume has the head in there because we don't see Lee's head again. So right. was did Lee have a plan that like Herbert was going to open it up and then see the head there and then we're going to have a conversation I or something? I don't or... think his head was in the box. I don't think so no? either. No, I think that was a decoy kind of, uh, yeah. you know. Get him, get him downstairs. Oh, get him downstairs to yeah, go yeah, to the yeah, center. Yeah. All right. I thought at first maybe uh, <laughs> that the plan was to open the box and then he'd go, all right, guys, I'm in a basement. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this is how you get in there. But uh, but no, yeah, I think it was it was a it was trick. just a, a trick yeah, to get him yeah, down to the yeah, cellar. Yeah. yeah. But uh, and that's the end of uh, Herbert West Reanimator. That's the end of Herbert West. Now, in your in your movie, it's, it pretty much ends. Well, we I mean, have, all well, well, we have, the, the character we have torn to pieces is actually Halsey in our movie. Right, right. And uh, you know, similar, you know, the the reanimated corpses. You know, the idea of this sort of legion of corpses. Mm-hmm. We have that idea as well. You know, with Hill leading them, uh, you know, to use them as uh, as his slaves to yeah, right. I love that. like his to, army to, to just, yeah to destroy West. So that idea we also. You know, borrowed as well. It, it, it's funny rereading this now, you know, seeing the various elements and even some of the dialogue. Like, there's a line about you know, I'm either mad or a murderer. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think yeah. we use a line exactly like that yeah. when uh, when Hill is trying to uh, sort of blackmail West, and he says, you know, people will either think that you're a madman or a murderer. You know, you have your choice. Oh, right. Uh-huh. You know, and um, so. I, we, you know, the, the, the story is, is sort of woven through the movie. You know, we, um, it, it's funny. I mean, the, the element that's not in these stories that we make a lot of use of is a woman character. Which, what? Uh, <laughs> which is something you almost never find in love. Yeah, right. pretty rare for there's any. I mean, it was uh, only in... Um, the Thing on the Doorstep. The Thing on the Doorstep, we talk about a woman character. And yeah, she's and, only and it sort out, of a woman. It, yeah, it turns out she's not a woman at all. Yeah, right. exactly. You know, exactly. <laughs> you know it, it's... Uh, there are no women in Lovecraft, which is really strange. And when you're making a movie, it's always, you know, well, where's the girl? There's got to be a girl, yeah, you know, sure. damsel in distress mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. So we invented the dean's daughter and, and had a relationship between her and this unnamed narrator. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, I think that's a good idea, making her Halsey's daughter, too, because that ties in, you know, her father with, with all the bad stuff that's going on. So there's a whole other level for her, you know, like a sense of... Yeah, horror. and Hill has that creepy uh, lust for her as well. Oh, right, yes, that's true, yeah. Yeah, extremely creepy. <laughs> uh, but there was a lot of sort of um, streamlining, like you know, taking the first story where the creature in, in Lovecraft's version just breaks out. Mm-hmm. You know, we have our creature breaking out of the uh, the morgue, uh, sort of the, the refrigerator section, breaking the door down on top of Halsey, oh, right, yeah. and uh, and killing Halsey. Right. So it's you know instead of Halsey dying of a plague, Halsey is killed by the first creature. So we're just exactly. sort of tying the, the two stories yeah, together. Yeah, I mean to have a whole a whole other story about a plague going on and they're doing that stuff. It seems pretty uh, unnecessary for a movie. And it was also kind of compressing the time. I mean, the thing that you know about the Lovecraft stories, it takes seventeen years yeah. for all of this to happen. So we were having it all happen within a you know yeah. a few days. <laughs> So did you guys like the story? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I love this story. It's I think it's a, it's one of my favorites. I love it. I mean, and I know he hated it, or said he hated it, but uh, it just seemed so fun. Like, well, it's just like a fun story. Well, the thing that made me happy was that after our movie came out that they reprinted the story. Oh, that, that nice. The, that the story came back. And, um, you know, I... When I was a kid, I always used to go see Roger Corman's Poe movies. Sure, yeah. And those are what made me start reading Poe. Yeah. And the fact that 
the movies that I make about Lovecraft inspire people to read Lovecraft. Yeah, absolutely. I always think is a great thing. That's pretty. It is. It is. It's a great thing. I gotta say, uh, thanks for making this movie. This uh, has been one of my all-time favorites, even well, as thanks. a kid. Yeah, I've always loved it. It's great. So you know, good job. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, you mentioned Poe. You're now you and Jeffrey Combs are working on a show. Yeah, we're or doing, not working on it's running. And, and yeah, we're doing we, we're doing a uh, Jeffrey's doing a one-man show playing Edgar Allan Poe. Which was was put together from Poe's notes and you know essays and so forth. And this isn't the first time that uh, Jeffrey Combs has done Poe. No, he did a we did an episode of The Masters of Horror, uh, and an adaptation of The Black Cat, where, yeah. where we turned the again nameless narrator into Edgar Allan Poe. And it's a uh, if anybody's in L.A., I highly recommend uh, going to see the show because it's great. Chad and I have both seen it. Yeah, we mentioned it on. A while yeah. ago, well, on the, we the tomb, I think we mentioned it. Yeah, we the one of the first well, stories. Yeah. Well, thank you. We're we're hoping to tour it, so maybe we'll be able to bring yeah. it back. Maybe it'll be coming to a neighborhood near you. <laughs> Most recently, you came out with a movie called Stuck, right? Uh, which has Mina Subari in it and is about uh, a terrible night in a man's life. Yeah, it's a true story about a about a woman who hits a homeless man and he goes through the windshield of her car, and instead of taking him to the emergency room, she puts him in her garage. You know, this actually <laughs> happened a few years ago. And she thought he was dead at first because she was like drunk or something. And then when she got up in the morning, he was still stuck. Well, alive. She, yeah, I don't think she ever thought that he was dead. I'm oh. not, I think she hoped that he would die overnight. Yeah. And that when she came back to see him the next morning, you know, he was begging her to oh. to take him to a hospital. Yeah. Well, it's an excellent movie. Yeah, it's a really cool uh, movie. So I would encourage everybody to to. to buy it. Is there anything on the horizon we should be looking out for besides the uh, the Edgar Allan Poe? Well, we're working. I'm working on a couple of things. You know, one of them being a Lovecraft adaptation. Yay! But, uh, but I think it's great that you guys are doing this show. It's, uh, oh well, uh, thank you very much. We yeah. also think it's great. <laughs> well, we've been happy that some people tripped onto it not because they were Lovecraft fans, but because it was recommended, and now they're reading Lovecraft. So it's the same kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a happy feeling. But yeah, it's good. It's good. And um, I should also say that the, you know, the three of us are working on something together, which is we are. That's yes. true. There is a, a horror film uh, called Solitude that we are shopping around right now. That's right. So if anybody uh, has a couple million bucks, they want to contribute, <laughs> we'll be happy to take. We'll your be money. happy to take it off your hands <laughs> and make this film. Well, Stuart, again, thank you so much for uh, joining us on our podcast and being our, our guest host. Uh, I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Stuart Gordon. And this is the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. HPPodcraft.com. HPPodcraft.com. And that concludes the second part of our ongoing two-part series on HP Lovecraft's Herbert West reanimation. That, you know what? <laughs> I said it was a journey last week. This week, yeah. it was an epic journey. It was an epic yeah. journey. Yeah, Wow. You know, I really want to thank Stuart again for inviting us into his office, doing the yes. podcast with us, and uh, giving us so many great insights into yeah, the story. Yeah, that was so much fun, and he's such a cool guy. Yeah. Uh, kudos. Once again, Andrew, thanks for your great voice. Thanks for the great readings. Andrew, we can't thank you enough. And this week, uh, well, something new captured my heart, and that would be that would be Tor.com. Tor.com? They just crawled their way in there and went to sleep. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think earlier we said... Uh, over over at Tor.com, these uh, they're they're <laughs> they've got so many great analysis and insights into Lovecraft's work, a lot of which we've covered on this show. Yeah. But whereas we've done a half-ass job. Uh huh. They've done a, a full-ass job. They came in with a full ass. Yeah, they yeah. really did. So uh, so get over there, look at that stuff, there. and, and you'll out. be a little bit better of a of a uh, Lovecraftian amateur. And maybe maybe a better human being. 
I think so. Chris, what are we covering next week? Next week, we are venturing into Hypnos. Oh, wow. I haven't read Hypnos. I've never read Hypnos. I imagine it's going to hypnotize me. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Sure, well, that's going to be... Gonna that's our that. show for... Uh, that'll be our um, our New Year's Eve show. Yeah, we will be. Yeah. So bring your kazoos and your party hats and your Absolutely. confetti. And lots of confetti. Yeah. Uh, I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And this has been the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. HPPodcraft.com. Oh.